0: Welcome to the So What's Next podcast, a podcast for bennies and johnnies by bennies and johnnies, answering some of the biggest questions and making meaningful connections between alums and the world around us. that thousands of people have stood on various stages in front of crowds varying in size trying to explain what makes st ben's and st john's so special to many of the people that are lucky enough to experience them i for one find myself frequently attempting to narrow down on the profound impacts these places have on me and to what effect they have on the person i've become for me st ben's and st john's brings a sense of constancy permanence and comfort more than anything it brings a sense of home and deep meaning as the places and people that made up my experience there form the foundation of who I am today. Now, for those that know me, this description will not come as a surprise. St. John's and St. Ben's bring different feelings and create different experiences for everyone. People often tell students, graduates, and young alums to wait a few years to understand the sentiment. For many, all it takes is a drive down Interstate 94 to the two exits to stir memories that ground us. It is my sincere hope that whether you are a student, class of 2019, class of 1984, or someone who is familiar with St. Ben's and St. John's, that your experience in St. Joan Collegeville grounded you in some sense of togetherness and left you with a deep understanding of what it means to live in community, to lead, and to critically think and act in the communities you are now a part of today. The experience at St. Ben's and St. John's of course changes, as the world around us changes at a pace with which it is nearly impossible to race along. Divisiveness, disagreement, and undue action still find their way into the walls of the schools, too. Our programs, our demographics, our teachings all change as society around us change. But underneath all of that is still a sense of connectedness to the consistencies that stand the test of time. The values, the friends, the physical spaces, and the togetherness experienced for four of our most formative years. As we now have moved beyond our years attending St. Ben's and St. John's, How can we lean on these places and communities that for so many have set a solid foundation? What of the values, communities, and places can we take with us to ensure that we're making our communities better and becoming impactful leaders? What does it mean to be a Benny and a Johnny in 2021? How has that meaning changed over time? And what permanent pieces of our connectedness do we want to maintain permanence when asking this question in the years to come? What can we do as members of these communities to ensure that others can experience the sense of place and grounding that we now have as a result of these places? Joining us today to talk about St. Ben's and St. John's in 2021, 2022, and beyond are Presidents Lori Heyman and James Mullen. Prior to joining St. Ben's, Lori Heyman served as President at Mount Mercy University in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, since February of 2014. She has more than 30 years of experience in student affairs, enrollment management, academics, athletics, and grant procurement. She began her appointment as president at the College of St. Benedict on July 1st of 2020. She returned to the St. Ben's community having served as dean of students at the college from 1992 to 1996. Prior to joining Mount Mercy University, Heyman served as a vice president at North Central College in Naperville, Illinois for nearly 18 years. She played an active role in the New American Colleges and Universities Consortium, taught classes in North Central graduate programs, and served on the NCAA Division III and Athletic Conference Committees. Heyman holds a Juris Doctorate from DePaul University College of Law in Chicago. She completed PhD coursework in Educational Administration at the University of Minnesota, and holds a master's degree from Winona State University. She is a product of a women's college education, having earned her undergraduate degree from St. Catherine University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Dr. James Mullen began his appointment as transitional president of St. John's University on June 1st of 2021. Recent positions in Mullen's extensive and distinguished career in higher education include president of Allegheny College in Pennsylvania, president in residence at Harvard Graduate School of Education, past chair of the board of the American Council on Education, and current chair of the board of Project Pericles. Mullen also served as president of the College of Our Lady of Elms in Massachusetts, Chancellor of UNC Asheville, and Vice President of Trinity College in Connecticut. Mullen earned his doctorate in higher education administration from the University of Massachusetts Amherst, his Master's in Public Policy from Harvard University, and his Bachelor's in History Magna Cum Laude from the College of the Holy Cross in Massachusetts. President Mullen, President Heyman, thank you for joining us today and welcome. Thank you. So each of you have extensive careers in higher education and varying experience with St. Ben's and St. John's. So that being said, for alums that might not know you so well, could you each share a bit about your backgrounds in higher education? Um, Describe your journey here and your impressions of our two communities here at St. Ben's and St. John's. What about them do you find so compelling Um, and what about them have been unique in your experiences that you've had outside of the St. Ben's and St. John's communities.
1: Great. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. I'm so glad to be here today. Um, I I guess I could probably start that I was educated at a women's college and it changed my entire life. And so always um, have wanted to be at a women's college, obviously made that happen at St. Ben's in the 90s. Uh, But uh, that's a really important part of my educational journey and certainly a very important part of my life. It's clear that I wouldn't be the president anywhere had I not gone to a women's college. So I want to make sure that I say that up front. For me, part of the reason and the draw to come back to St. Ben's after such a long period of time was the fact that I could lead a women's college um, very much like the one that changed my life. Um, I'm a student affairs, admission, financial aid, and athletics person by training, but I'm a lawyer, so I have kind of an unusual background Um, that led me to a number of places in Minnesota and then a long stop at North Central College in Naperville for 18 years as the vice president for uh, enrollment, athletics, student affairs, and then to a presidency at Mount Mercy University in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, uh, at a Catholic, small Catholic college, um, and and then, as the interim president here again, the pull was uh, women's college, but the pull also was that I have two Johnnies and some Bennies in my family, and I I I think that more than anything, I see the life changing impact that St. John's and St. Ben's has had, and wanted to be a part of that even for a short period of time. So. That's, that's my journey in a nutshell. Student affairs, lawyer, makes good at St. Ben's for a couple of years.
2: My uh, my journey is probably about as non-traditional as, uh, as you could expect. I, I, when I went to Holy Cross, uh, I thought I was going to be a dentist. My late father had been a dentist and uh, I just thought that was the natural move for me. Uh, the pre-med advisor saw the first time he met me that I wanted to be a dentist for all the wrong reasons. So he said, why don't you do pre-med and uh, major in something you really love? So I majored in history and took the pre-dental courses and ended up doing a year at the University of Pennsylvania in dental school, uh, realizing about two weeks in that for the good of the profession uh, and a lot of future patients and my own good, that that probably wasn't a career that I would continue into. So I went over to the Kennedy School and thought I was going to be a journalist. And uh, my mentor there told me that, you know, you really can always go into journalism. Why don't you get some real world experience? And he advised me to go to the Port Authority in New York and New Jersey as a management trainee. And I had five great years there. And then someone I'd met at the Kennedy School became president of a community college and. Massachusetts and called me and said, uh, we've got some things we got to work on for permanent campuses for our institutions. Would you come back and be dean of planning? And I said, gee, that sounds interesting. I always thought a career in education would be fun. So I went back. One thing led to the other and I ended up chancellor at, uh, at UNC Asheville. Um, and I think the kind of the lesson learned in my life is, is don't think you have to have it all figured out when you're 21 years old, or 18 years old, or 25 years old, or I guess in my case, 63 years old, um, and also rely on mentors to give you help and advice and counsel. Uh, I, and I guess the journey to St. John's, Mary and I had retired to Asheville after 11 great years at Allegheny, and we weren't looking to, uh, I had really 20 years as a college president, had been a great run, and uh, when the call came as to whether or not I'd be interested, I knew St. John's by reputation. I knew the extraordinary, uh, interesting work that was taking place around strong integration. And uh, I wanted to have a chance to work with uh, Lori Heyman, whose reputation I also knew as a really great leader. So one thing led to the other, and what a great uh, six months it's been so far.
0: It's, it's funny, you both pointed out very pointed reasons as to why you ended up where you are, regardless of the serendipity of getting here as to why you're here now. And it certainly is a particularly unique time now in our school's histories, aside from still navigating a pandemic and coming in the the middle of a pandemic, which has become endemic in many ways. So that being said, let's, let's talk about that particularly unique time that you're here at St. Ben's and St. John's. Could you share with us a little bit about the particular roles that you're serving for St. Benson, St. John's, as they would be in comparison to um, presidents in, in the past at St. Benson, St. John's. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of positives and and, and challenges of filling an interim role. Um, and how are you guys preparing the schools for combined leadership for the first time ever?
2: Well, I- from my perspective, what's unique is what makes it so attractive. Number one, usually when you're a college president, you're the college president. Uh, <laughs> right. We've developed a really wonderful collaborative relationship uh, that I think is uh, part of the the fun of coming back to this. That we we share in every decision, we work together every day, and uh, uh, that's been that's been great fun. And and I think the other thing that's been exciting is we're creating a national model of, we believe, for higher education for other institutions, not a merger, uh, but a, a, a strong integration model that allows you to preserve the best of each institution's culture and history and tradition, uh, but also build uh, some synergies that I think are going to make the student experience even stronger. So that's been great fun. In, in so many ways, we're we're sort of here at the creation of something very special in higher ed.
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting because I always say I grew up in a household of artists, a lot of people who did a a lot of interesting creative work, and I was sort of the administrator of the household. So this actually gives me um, an opportunity to do some creative things with, uh, like Jim says, a a great partner in a great partnership and to develop something brand new. Whenever I read the articles and they happen all the time in higher education publications about affordability and access and, how higher ed needs to be more innovative and unique, and uh, you know, how do we build on our strengths but yet come into the twenty first century? I I just keep thinking about how St St. Ben's and St. John's have been ahead of the curve in many ways um, academically by having two separate institutions but one single academic program. But um, that that model could be built upon in, in unique ways. And uh, and Jim and I just get the opportunity to to put piece by piece together here, um, really building on what uh, the folks before us and our board have laid out as um, a great model for the future. Now we get to execute. And from from my perspective as a lawyer, um, that's that's the fun part, you know, making it happen. Um, So, you know, for all that we want to say that the creativity part of this and the execution part of it, I, I've just enjoyed immensely. And um, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. And um, I really do think that what Jim says is is right, that, that we have a national model that could be replicated and maybe tweaked at many other institutions. And it's great for higher education to have additional innovation. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. And it's been fun to have a, a, a small part in that.
0: And congratulations on the accreditation recently. Speaking of big steps in 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 that direction, that's that's a big move. Um, yeah. I, I do want to ask about you spoke about integration as a model nationally, and and maybe let's blow this up to a macro level in higher education. Yeah. You know, there are some four thousand colleges and universities across the country today. Um, many argue that that's too much. Many argue that that's the right amount. Does does this integration model necessarily have to play a role with men's and women's colleges? Or is this a model that can be two different colleges that are co-curricular, that could come together as as a result of the changing forces of the economy around them?
1: Well, one of the things that I I keep thinking about is Part of the reasons that mergers, and we are not, this one is not a merger, but part of the reason that college and university mergers blow up in the end, and many of them have. If you, you know, a lot of times folks do a lot of work, they kind of get to the almost to the end, they're just about to jump off and they just can't do Mm -hmm. it. Part of what stops individual institutions from actually merging almost always ends up to be philosophy or mission or the heart and soul of the institution, um, that, that nobody really the details of it could actually be done, but nobody wants to give up their identity. No institution wants to give up their identity. And the wonderful thing about strong integration as a model is that you don't. You don't have to give up your mission, your identity. And in fact, it could strengthen your Ability to function more, even more closely together and accomplish your mission. So there's two sort of pillars, I think, associated. What One pillar is what you are and your mission and what you want to be. And for, our, for us, it's a men's college and women's college. But there's so many steps that can take without having to give up anything. Um, You can strengthen your identity and become more of who you are. And that is what you bring to the table rather than that's what you've got to give up. So I I think about other places where I've worked before where there's a college three blocks down the street, totally different missions, and we're operating completely separately, no Hmm. collaboration whatsoever strong integration actually could be a model. And we've had many colleges and universities call our provost or call us in saying, how would we do this? How would we make this happen if we were going to make it happen? So I don't think in any way it's restricted to men's and women's colleges. In fact, I think it's really much more for another organization or two. We always joke that the more difficult one might be a diocesan college and a college from an order that that might be really tough, you know, right, to give up their right. mission. But I think, you know, there's there's hundreds of colleges and universities replicated across the country with missions that are dear to them and they shouldn't give them up, that they can't quite figure out what kind of collaborative relationship would allow them to go into the future stronger and keep their mission. So, Jim, I don't know if you have anything to add no, to that.
2: I, but I if- absolutely agree with you. I think when I, as the process unfolded that led me here, uh, I was particularly attracted by two things. One was obviously the Catholic Benedictine traditions that both institutions represent, uh, but also the elegance of how this has been put together. This is, uh, the process that led us here is something that I think we, we need to continue to reflect on. Laurie and I've talked about it. This is gonna be a, there's an article in here or, 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 or uh-huh. a series of presentations. Two boards came together realizing merger is not the option, and then really discerned and and were very thoughtful and intentional about how to create what we've come to call strong integration. Uh, And and I think the process the boards went through, the the real level of discernment and the the hard questions they explored uh, are as much part of the story here as what we have now going forward. I think a lot of good came out of that process
0: you you may have you said article but you may have just given me an idea for a podcast down the road too <laughs> <you> uh, <laughs> um it, it's funny that you, that you, after hearing you you explain that i i can just think of schools in the minnesota intercollegiate athletic conference that are in such close proximity uh think about those schools in highland park in in st paul um just to name one cluster Um, that's, that's a really interesting way of kind of describing that and using, you know, just 80 miles down the road from college owned St. Joe, there's plenty that could maybe be learned from this there too. Um, you, you mentioned a lot of elements that have to do with, with the soul, I think of schools, um, and, and and part of this integration decision and, and, and the steps to get there. Um, so, so let's talk about the soul of St. Ben's and St. John's. How has the meaning of being a Benny or a Johnny in your eyes, changed over time particularly now in, in 2021 um you know how does that sense of place that that st ben's and st john's provide to you know the some 45 50,000 alums that are out there and you know 3,000, 3500 odd students on campus right now instill that generational connectedness um, and and what connectedness do we want to maintain when asking this question about what a benny and a johnny means in in the next 5 10 20 years
1: Well, I have three just tiny little snippets, pictures, so to speak, in my mind. Um, One is I gave my brother, who is not a Johnny, a a St. John's and St. Ben's mask at my house one day because he was on his way to the St. Paul Saints game. And when he got to the Saints game, he realized it was St. Ben's and St. John's night. And he had the St. Ben's and St. John's mask on. He said at least 60 people stopped me and said, like, do I, I should know you, you know, of the same vintage as my brother. Um, that's number one. Number two is, you know, I have, I told you I have Benny and Johnny's in my family, Benny's and Johnny's in my family. And, and they would say that at least a portion of their career was enhanced or secured by another Benny and Johnny. At some level, somehow the Benny and Johnny network is real. And I, I think last is people often talk about the drive in You know, like the drive in just gives me a sense of, you know, peace. When I, when I Mm -hmm. drive down 94, I just, it just, I'm so happy that I'm, I'm back. So I think about the community as evidenced by my brother's mask and you know, making a whole bunch of friends at the St. Paul Saints game and the, the ability to sort of lift while you climb that my sons and daughter-in-laws have had and the feeling of place all of those three things together seem like they they kind of come together. Um, how do how do we get there? You know, is it Benedict and Catholic liberal arts, our faculty, our staff? Is it the community? It, it's hard to really say what it is, but people's lives get changed here. And um, the evidence is clear that that it provides um, an opportunity to, to keep that community alive lift while you climb for in, in the workplace, it, it clearly causes people to wanna to come back and give back to the institution and it causes them to succeed. So how we do it, I don't know exactly. Uh, and I think for a, a lot of different people, it's, it's a very different um, experience, but I know that, they, that people keep coming back to St. Ben's and St. John's, keep sending their kids back. 30% of our first year class this last year had Bennys and Johnnies in their family. So um, that community of scholars and educated human beings continues far after graduation. And uh, for me, sense of place and sense of community, um, educational or or academic community is is just, um, we do it really well and and I think it shows.
2: I think uh, I agree with everything Lori said. You know, it's interesting, somehow we've got to capture this as we present our story to uh, the world, to the to the nation. Um, I've been around liberal arts colleges all my life. I'm son of the liberal arts from Holy Cross, every step of the way forward. And every residential college in the country, liberal arts college says the same thing. You arrive, we will give you a transformative residential liberal arts experience. You will become part of a generational network and uh, it's going to be a bit, a bit of magic in your lives. Everybody says it. Everybody does it to some degree. What I've noticed here, there is a, there is a something uh, and probably a series of somethings that make that unique and distinctive about St. Ben's and St. John's. Uh, I think, as you both have said, place matters. There is something somewhat magical about these places that, to, and I think the, the intersection of the two places, you know, you've got a wonderful college town and a 3000 acre arboretum. Uh, I think the other piece that I have felt since the day I arrived here, I felt at home the first time I walked on this campus, um, which at this stage of my life, you know, I'm not as probably as sentimental as I used to be. But when I walked on the campus, I felt at home. And a big part of that was the Benedictine community hospitality matters and human dignity matters and all the things that are in the rule of St. Benedict really matter here. I think what we probably need to do, and it'll be exciting for the next, for the joint president with our, our wonderful new uh, marketing uh, officer, Katie Alvino, is to really reflect on how all the pieces that connect to make this distinctive in terms of the experience we offer folks who come here.
1: I think the interesting thing about that is when you have a lot of people who are here because their parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles or brothers and sisters came before them, you realize that the story got told in the house or at a family event. That The story of St. Ben's and St. John's got told, and it got told in a way that really people wanted to come here. How do you boil that down into... A tagline or a marketing—it's—it's impossible. I mean, you just got to hear it over the breakfast table for you about do. you know for many months, and that's what we see happen. But you know, in order to really help people recognize what St. Benson and St. John's is, it can't be a long story for a prospective students. They just—they can't hear it. So thank God for your podcast, Andrew. Right? You know. Well, you're
0: right. Um, and you know we're trying it? our best. <laughs> the
1: tell the history. story.
2: Yeah, tell us the number of alumni uh, who will to, I'm, I'm sure Lori said the same thing. My son had no interest in coming to St. John's because wanted to do his own thing. Came to campus as a favor to his parents and fell in love. And it became went from no choice to first choice. So again, it's, that's, there is something in place and hospitality and and breakfast conversations that ultimately uh, play out.
1: Yeah. And, and I want to say also that that place matters certainly. And Jim is so right about that, but people matter here, mm-hmm. you know? And the the mentoring and sponsorship that my Johnny's and Benny's have received and I know is received because everyone talks about that when we have the ability to go and talk with the lungs and hear their, you know, the great experiences and the things that they say to us. I can't remember ever leaving any breakfast, lunch, or dinner with any alum where they didn't talk specifically about a human that transformed their life. And, you know, I could name them for the people that are in my household, but you could probably, if I said, Andrew, tell me the three people that changed your life at St. John's and St. Ben's, you'd have a name, boom, boom, boom. And so while place matters and values really matter, so just in such a, a wonderful way, I think. Um, people matter, and uh, well, not just our is, students, but also our faculty and staff and what they
2: do. There's a genuineness that I think captures all of that. Again, it's it's not a slogan. It's not a yeah. uh, a brochure. It is place does matter, and values matter, but it's the people who then live the values. There's a real genuine quality when you walk on this campus. Mm-hmm. There's nobody trying to be something that They think they should be. They're just being genuinely St. Ben's and St. John's.
0: It's so funny hearing each of you describe this because I think there are probably 40,000 anecdotes that could be given for our 40,000 to 50,000 alums. That mm-hmm. are all along the lines of something that you just described there. And in in so many ways, I'm a living, breathing example of nearly every single one you just described. Um I, If you know, we had my, a chat
1: I, going, if we had a chat going right now, there'd be people who would be saying, <laughs> you know, Eric Putnam and you know, this person yep. and that person, they would they would be basically giving you a list of all the inspirational humans yep. that yep. Have Sister Michaela,
0: Father yes, Don, Father absolutely, Nick. Yes, Absolutely,
1: yes. absolutely.
0: <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it it is really interesting, and I think you you got, you both get at at such an important piece. And I think this is I you know I'm this is me speaking directly to you listeners out there. Um, how do we bottle that value proposition of St. Ben's and St. John's, and how do we kind of disperse that to people that we think would be good Bennies and Johnny's? I know a lot of my friends talk about this all the time, and, and it, it was so hard to grasp when you're on campus, but the older, and you know, many of my closest friends are only three years out from, from Collegeville and St. Joe. Um, but as we've gotten older, those elements of, of nostalgia and of peace that you get when you're headed up 94 and, and the meaning of your experience there, both from a career perspective and from a soul perspective, um, really come to light the further out you get. And I think the question that we ask ourselves so often is how do we make the most of that now? Um, and, and cause we'll always come back up for, for football games or we'll always come back up for homecoming or um, to stop at Bella Cucina for dinner or something like that. That, that. that is ingrained in many of us, um, but it's, it's how do we make the most of that and kind of pass that down to, to generations to come or pass that off to individuals that may not know about St. Beth and St. John's, but would enjoy that experience. Um, as friends of the university, for example, um, those are, those are things that I think really need to um, be considered for, for alums listening to this podcast as well. Um, so, so aside from the, from the, from the, 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 again, I keep on using the word soul, but the, the, the real soul elements of St. Ben's and St. John's, what it means to be a Benny and a Johnny in the sense of place, you know, there are a lot of other impacts that are um, kind of placing a force on, on higher education as we know it, that, that are much more objective in nature And in the past 20 years alone, the landscape of higher education has drastically changed. Um, Online classes, higher costs, more options, greater competition for higher achieving students. Um, Describe how those forces have had an impact on St. Ben's and St. John's aside from from the sense of place and the soul elements, these elements also matter. Um, And in particular, what are the biggest forces at play in higher education that really are pressing on St. Ben's and St. John's today?
2: Well, you know, we, we, we face the same issues that uh, every institution, particularly in the Midwest. I mean, you you read your dad's books, it's uh, pretty clear what we're, what we're seeing. Uh, and, and, you know, he's obviously uh, uh, been such a leader in, in, in thinking through these issues for higher education. Um, you know, the demographics have changed. There are fewer high school students graduating. That situation is not going to improve. Uh, we need to reach out to uh, populations that uh, uh, traditionally have not probably been as, as present at St. Ben's and St. John's, uh, and, and we need to do that, and, and we're, we're, I think, putting in place some, some good programming to do that. Um, you know, the, I think the, the cost situation, the business model of higher education doesn't make sense, uh, frankly, and I've said that I've, Friends who are in the healthcare industry. And I said, we have so much in common uh, as, as, as sectors of the economy. Um, you know, hospitals have physicians and universities have faculty and they're labor-intensive, and there's, you know, a lot of costs around technology that we need to look at and, and residential environments. And neither of our business models makes terrific sense. Uh, and we understand that. So I think. You know we are going through an evolutionary period in higher ed. One thing that I always remember, though, is institutions of higher learning do not go away easily. This is, you know, I, we've been hearing for how long, Lori? Thirty years. Thirty years. There's mm-hmm. going to be a sorting big, the giant sorting out of higher education institutions. Um, uh, that is not as as inevitable, I think, as some people make it out to be, although there is going to be some sorting out and there are going to be institutions that uh, and we're seeing it now are not going to be able to survive because of either low enrollment or uh, you know issues around deferred maintenance and all of that. But uh, you know higher ed- education is a pretty resilient institution.
1: I, I also think that there's <clears throat> been a lot made of particular aspects of an institution that could or should change. Remember MOOCs? Remember when everyone was, it was going to be all MOOCs. Um, and I don't even know if you, people even know what that word means anymore, or that acronym means anymore. Um, so I, I do think higher ed sort of falls prey a little bit to the faddish, um, not faddish, uh, that's probably not fair, but, but, but sort of like the next big thing. And I think what we really need is innovation that lasts. You know, what's, what's the innovation that has um, real legs as far as um, an academic experience that students want and can really value? I mean, you value your experience sitting across the table from an expert who will not only tell you what they know and engage you in projects and Aspects of a particular subject, but also become your mentor in that subject and sort of launch you into a world. That's the liberal arts educational model. Um, but how can we innovate in, in within that model, and or how do we innovate with models that will be as impactful as a student, um, you know, for you? So I think part of our jobs is to try to drive innovation um, inside the model that we have chosen and or um, that can enhance that model in a way that's equally or more um, full of impact for the student experience. Um, we know that students need access. Certainly we know that they need financial assistance to come to a place like St. Vincent, St. John's. But I think, you know, what we also know is that that students didn't come here for an online education exclusively. That's not what they came here for when, when we, had COVID, they made that really well known that they wanted to come back in person, sit across a table from an expert and have them mentor you and, you know, engage you in research and so forth and have experiences of study abroad and athletics and music and all of the things that St. John's and St. Ben's are so known for. So I think we have to continue to drive the innovation that is properly within the scope of the type of institution that we have and or make it so that we are able to provide access for more and more students to a great education that they will choose because they want it. Um, And that's what we think strong integration is about, but it's also, there's other ways that we could innovate and we need to continue to to drive that innovation um, as transitional presidents. And and certainly the new president, that's part of what we hope their challenge will be is to drive innovation within um, the kind of situation uh, of education that we have.
2: And I think, you know, for a second, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, you can at one time say, first, the liberal arts tradition is the best preparation for a complicated world, the world that your generation's inheriting. So we should be true to our liberal arts tradition. Second piece you can say is within that liberal arts tradition, we can build relevant programming to the world in which we live. I mean, it's very hard for me to hear someone say that data analytics is not rooted in the liberal arts and yet a powerful program uh, for uh, the world you have inherited. So you can say both things at the same time and I think some really great research that's been done uh, nationally around what are called high impact practices and that's what the liberal arts can be about. It's about out. It's about what are the things that, that relevant to a liberal arts education that create outcomes relevant to the world. Internships, study abroad, intensive writing. You can go down. There's a list. Service and community, uh, working in teams. All of these, and to the credit of St. Ben's and St. John's, Richard Ice, the provost, and others in the faculty, they have built a curriculum. Over the last few years, that's grounded in high impact practices, true to the liberal arts, but grounded in what are the outcomes we want to have a student uh, evidence when she or he graduates. So I think there's some really innovative work going on here. Lori alluded to the fact we're trying to create incentives for even more. Uh, and I think the new president will arrive and have a pretty good foundation, but you're going to need to continue to incentivize. Uh, um, creativity and innovation. And and that's how you'll succeed long-term, but you don't have to stop being true to the residential liberal arts experience grounded in the Catholic intellectual tradition and in Catholic social teaching.
0: I think you're, so you're getting, you're getting into my, my next question. This is perfect. Um, with what you two just said and all of this, this vast amount of progress that we're, we're, accumulating now and and going to release in the next five to 10 years, where do you see us at the end of that? And I know it's in five to 10 years is probably an unfair window. I'm so I'm sorry for that. But in the next five to 10 years, the the unfurling of all of this progress and all this innovation and and this collaborative thinking that's being done from the board all the way down to student input um, and alumni input. Um, where do you see St. Ben's and St. John's in five to 10 years in the context of, of all of this that we've just been, been talking about? Um, are there particular strategies that the institutions are working on that you think are really core to that unfurling being successful?
2: I just, a couple of quick points. Number one, I think the important thing to keep in mind as we go forward for the new president, the new boards, the institutions, these are strong institutions. We are not institutions that are operating you know, uh, in desperation or trying to come up with some faddish thing because we're desperate. These are strong institutions in a very good place uh, to go forward. Second thing, I think the both boards uh, and, and as the boards come together and the, uh, the joint president, it's gonna be a lot about the student experience here because that getting back to our earlier conversation about what is this magic begins with the kind of experience you have here, the interaction you have with faculty, the friendships that are formed here. How do you how do you evolve that from the moment you apply to the moment you graduate into a coherent experience that people can see and understand? And then outcomes. Um, again, the curriculum is focused on outcomes and something's working because Almost 100% of our students have jobs or, or are in graduate school within a year of their, their graduation. So I think just doubling down on a lot of that. And again, finding that core set of values in the in the Catholic Benedictine tradition that kind of bring us all together.
1: Andrew, I'll also say that there's probably a, a set of sort of um, future initiatives that bring together what I think is probably a a, a wonderful um, decision-making triad. Your, Your faculty have certain expertise. Your community has certain needs and your friends or donors have money that they wish to put into very particular projects that they think will be successful. And we haven't always harnessed all three of those together, but. So for St. Ben's and St. John's this past year, um, we've launched a a nurse practitioner program at the doctoral level. That was our faculty had expertise. Our community desperately needs nurse practitioners, particularly in rural areas where healthcare access is difficult. And our donors wanted to make an impact both on the community and St. and St. John's. That little triad of decision-making, faculty expertise, community need, and um, resources that can help us make a difference, I think is the thing that's going to help us select our future. Where do we have faculty expertise? Where do we have community need that we could meet? And where do we have resources where someone really wants to make a difference? And those together, I think will help us with program selection into the future, additional program selection into the future as, you know, in things like business and healthcare and and places where we've traditionally had a lot of strength, but maybe some other areas as well. And I think um, in addition to a Jim is saying about really building on the student experience and being able to market and talk about that. I also think we have to make sure that our programs are um, relevant, that our faculty expertise is being maximized, and um, that we engage individuals, friends of the institution that want to make a difference, and we explain to them how particular programs that we might not necessarily have right now um, could do that. So again, I use nurse practitioner program and the master's in nursing program as a as an ex, just an example, but also as a way of thinking. Um, I, I think in five or 10 years, we might be uh, a, a little bit more targeted in what we offer, but it will have some of those aspects um, in terms of meeting community need. And I think and
2: just picking up on that, you know, in higher ed, there's always we want to be somebody else. You know, why aren't we fill in the blank. Why aren't we Williams? Why aren't we Notre Dame? Why aren't we? I think the the healthiest institutions decide who they are at their core and then they just just double down on it. You know, so my my interest in trying to be Williams, um, I don't wanna be Holy Cross. Holy Cross was great to me. It's an extraordinary place. I owe the Jesuits so very much but I don't think St. John's and St. Ben should try to be Holy Cross or anybody else. They've got, we've got a unique uh, story to tell. We ought to tell it. We ought to be proud of it. We ought to double down and invest. And I,
0: and I think, I think the vast majority of, of alums uh, and friends of the institutions would completely agree with you. You know, there's, there's a reason going back to one of our previous topics that we were discussing. There's a reason that St. Ben's and St. John's grads speak about St. Ben's and St. John's so highly and for so long because St. Ben's and St. John's means so much to them. So why would we wanna make it something it's not? Um, I think that's a really, really important piece to take away. Um, so that being said, and and continuing on this alumni track, I'm gonna combine two of our last questions here. Um, each of you have have decades of serving in leadership roles and decades of experience in higher education. From what you have seen, what role do alumni play in the progress of our institutions? And equally as important, um, how can we continue to play a role in our institutions that promotes good stewardship of our brands as Bennies and Johnny's, both now and in the years to come? Because again, that type of engagement is also changing.
1: Yeah. But, well, first of all, I, I will say, if you don't have alum support um, in the myriad ways that it can evidence, you know, that it can be evidenced you will not have an institution that's healthy or strong. There's just no doubt about it. You have to um, have your alums behind you or you cannot be successful. And I think St. John's and St. Ben's has been blessed tremendously with uh, alums who want the institutions uh, to do well and, and that can take a whole bunch of forms of course as you know you know it, it can take the form of uh, giving straight giving that's the one people think about most um but but for you know a population that may be just a year or two out of school or five years or 10 years out of school which your podcast um sort of targets that that's probably not where they might be um not, not thinking about it at this moment so I, I also think about things like you know accessing networks. You have networks of people who are thinking about coming to school. You know people who are still in the age of thinking about coming to school. And, you know, we have people who are teachers in their first few years, just inspiring the heck out of people or nurses or uh, in business. Uh, They all have access to networks. And speaking about their Johnny Bunny experience uh, from the heart, in, is is huge participating in social media kinds of things that would express how much the institution means is gigantic I, I mean we we can't um, we can't even make our marketing do that um, if we wanted to um, and so I I think that the real um, stories of st Ben's and st. John's young alums particularly make a gigantic difference in every place. I, I can't think of very many people when I ask them why they came here, don't, don't point to an alum's experience as the reason. It was my school counselor. It was my coach. It was a nurse I met. It was my parents. It was my, uh, the person who was the parish worker at my church. I, I, I could go on and on and on. And, but, um, so telling the story is a huge thing. I, I think the other thing is and sometimes we don't really think about this. We think about our experience as static in our minds and yet the institutions start changing. And so continuing to be involved in, in like um, understanding that the institution is changing and understanding how that institution is changing. Um, and that might mean read the magazine. It might mean getting on social media. It might need a lot of different things, but our young alums um, connect in ways that are just extraordinary, but I want them to connect with how the institution is becoming something so keeping abreast of things is always great and that means probably coming back to things talking to people you know reading uh things that we write or just participating from a social media standpoint
2: yeah i thought you couldn't say it better i think you know at the end of the day these are very much uh communities and communities have a sense of that succeed communities that succeed have a sense of generational responsibility one generation for the next Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think if we can keep coming back to the notion of our generational responsibility to these places, uh, how we stay connected, how we support, how we uh, encourage students who are here, how we help them, and in reality, how we as institutions stay connected and honor our responsibility to the generations who have come long before us. And value the difference they've made. So for me, alumni, it's all about the generational responsibility in a community.
1: You know, can I add just one thing? You know, the, the Johnny Benny tradition of holding the door. You know, somebody's somebody's walking in. You you hold the door for them. I, I want our alums, especially our young alums, to hold the door a little bit for people who are coming. Um, and that might mean something like um, saying, "I'll take you up to St. Saint- St. and St. John's, because you come from a family that can't get you up there. Um, It might mean um, I'm going to I'm going to email my former advisor who I know is in the same um, in the same area that you might want to study. And um, I'm going to ask them to contact you. I I mean, there's there's a little bit of a feeling when you're talking about recruitment that the extra mile or the hold the door that we are famous for can be applied, young alums could apply to um, enlarging our community, and particularly enlarging our community uh, with individuals who might not necessarily be thinking about St. John's and St. Ben's first and foremost, or who might not be able to afford it. So I, I want to make sure that we're we're thinking about what's the extra mile. Um, it's easy to say, oh, you know, you know, you can use your networks and all of that. But there's also a little bit of a we got to go a little farther than maybe some other folks might, um, go to encourage some of any, a prospective Benny or Johnny to come here because I, I can guarantee it will pay off in the end. Um, guaranteed.
0: I think that's a really, really good way to put it. You know, this question is really, a, or this podcast, I should say is really about, you know, what does it mean to be a Benny and a Johnny in 2021? And I think that a lot of the, what it means to be a Benny and Johnny in 2021 is probably the same that it was in 1921 too. Um, And that's, you know, holding the door for somebody who comes after you, regardless of whether it's a physical door or if it's in the instance that you're describing right here. Um, And I think that that will also define what's next for the institutions as well. As long as we continue to hold that door open for others that come after us, these institutions will stay and grow and continue to be forces in the collegiate world and forces for the students that get to go through them and become alums like me
1: Absolutely. um
0: with with that being said um and for for the sake of time you know i i generally ask at the end of this podcast what's next for both of you so <laughs> i will leave that open if we can just answer that shortly what are some exciting things that we can look forward to for both you president hayman and president Mullen? In the context of St. Ben's and St. John's, or in your personal life, if it does not matter, it's up to you. Well,
1: I have eight little grandkids that are under ten, so wow. I'm working on making sure that they're Bennies and Johnnies in the future. That's 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 my next my next step.
0: <laughs> Tall task. I love it.
2: Our next step is a little bit more time with our son and daughter who are in Massachusetts, and also our main base, which is Asheville, North Carolina. But one thing we t- we talked about. Just last night is uh, lots of times back in Minnesota to, to visit the great new friends we've made here and follow the progress that's happened here. So we'll be, the Mullins will be back in Minnesota to visit often.
0: Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you guys both so much for the time that you spent thank with you, us Andrew. today. It was really an honor. Um, and hopefully uh, anybody that has any questions can reach out to either myself or the president's offices at St. John's and we'll yeah. see if we can get you in touch Um, In the meantime, enjoy your holidays. Merry Christmas to both of you.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Merry Christmas to you. you,
0: Proud of you. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into this episode of So What's Next? If you have any questions about this episode or would like more resources, please DM the Yak Instagram page or email us at csbsjuyac at gmail.com, and we will get back to you. This is the last episode of our first full year of the Sell What's Next podcast. Whether you have listened to every episode or just one episode, I'd like to sincerely thank you for tuning in. Our goal from the very beginning has been to share the success in both work and life of Benny's and Johnny's, as well as provide guidance, insight, and ideas to those who are seeking their own definition of success in work and holistic life. We hope that we've achieved that goal in some small way. We have some new plans in the works for our next season in 2022, so make sure you stay tuned. And as always, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to So What's Next on your platform of choice and share it with your friends. Until our next episode in January, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2022.